0: Welcome to another episode of Systematic Geekology. This is a space where we seek to create and cultivate healthy conversations between those things we geek out on and the philosophical and theological questions that often arise out of our fandoms. Like what does it mean to be human? What makes a hero? What makes a villain? How do the stories and narratives we geek out on shape how we live in the world? We are your priest to the geeks. We aren't all ordained, but we see ourselves as mediators at the intersection of geek culture and going deeper in our faith. We don't always have to agree, but we do respect each other, and we see everyone as a beloved child of God. Everyone geeks out on something, so come geek out with us and enjoy the show.
1: You're listening to an Anazao Ministries podcast.
2: What can we learn from the mythologies of the ancient world? We're going to find out today on a special episode of Systematic Ecology. We are the priests of the geeks on our final episode of our origin series. We are doing, of course, creation myths of several groups in Mesopotamia. We've got the Greeks, the Norse, we've got the Hebrew creation stories as well. We'll be covering that and more today for our final episode, which is kind of a bridge in between what is going to be the feature of our next annual special. Josh, we need to talk about that since you are also here with me as my fellow co-host, I, of course, being Christian, Ashley.
1: Oh yeah. Christian decided that for next year's theme, we will be doing other, other religions. So whether those are made-up religions in our fandoms, like uh, the religion in death space, which is the one I'm really excited to talk about, some of the religions of um, that, that show people like, like Game of Thrones or something, um, we're going to be talking about some of those, some of the Lord of the Rings religions, as well as on our YouTube, you know, we do like a companion series. We'll be doing some stuff like uh, how is Taoism portrayed in our fandoms? How is Buddhism portrayed in our fandoms? So we'll be doing a little bit of fake religion, a little bit of real religions, and how do we think of those as Christians, which also real religion. But, you know, I, I feel like that went without saying.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we are also joined today by a special guest. You know him. You love him. It's Brandon Knight. How you doing, Brandon?
3: Hi, I'm Brandon Knight. You may remember me from such shows as My Seminary Life. Hey, guys, what's going on?
2: Awesome, man. I, I'm pumped to talk about this. When I was doing the prep for this, I was like, oh, man, this episode is going to bomb. And I kept writing and I kept reading more. I was like, man, I'm, we're going to have fun with this one. So before we actually get into the episode proper, what have you guys been geeking out on?
1: I've been geeking out on Brandon Knight
2: just listening to
1: my show all the day. <laughs> yeah, time. just watching, listening to my similar life nonstop. Um, no, actually, ironically, for the today's episode, I, mind you, I haven't been doing this for today's episode. It's just something I didn't think about until like yesterday. I was like, oh, I might have accidentally been preparing for this. So I've been reading The Song of Achilles by uh, Madeline Miller. So I'm getting really into that. Um, also, uh, just one thing about things I'm geeking out on, I'm really getting into the Hades comic books that are uh, dynamite's been pulling, putting out they're fantastic you know he's uh he's got (laughs) he's got achilles he's got uh who i called ichabod earlier uh all making a little heist team together and uh you know medusa's against them a few other gods against them and it's like yeah this is just silly goofy
2: fun and i love it it's great excellent well i too have been geeking out on brandon as well i enjoyed the most recent episode on uh God help us. The holidays and Thanksgiving will be number one. But, Brandon, actually, go ahead and the tell us what you've holiday. been geeking out on. If not yourself.
3: Well, I do listen to my own content. I guess that is a true statement. Um, Perfect. But We're I, all geeking <laughs> out on Brandon Knight. Narcissist. What a narcissist. Um, I recently I watched, anything. I recently watched for the very first time the movie Last Christmas, which is. I guess you could say inspired by the wham song of the same name. Actually, wham, George Michael is like peppered all throughout the soundtrack and is the basically part of the main character, Amelia Clark's character's identity. She's just a huge Mm. George Michael fan and uh, not usually the kind of movie I watch. It does fall in that rom-com category, but it was a lot of fun. It was funny. It it was a bit predictable. I I saw what the big twist was going to be. I called it like halfway through, um, but it it, ah. it was good. I enjoyed it.
2: <laughs> my my actual answer is one I know Joshua is really going to love, and that is the announcement that they're doing the One Piece, which is going to be a retelling and a reanimated from the very beginning of One Piece without the filler. Without all the junk, just straight one piece. I don't I think it's releasing next year, maybe, is when they were saying it was gonna happen. Uh, it's all oh, you haven't heard the news yet? Well, I get to tell you live on a podcast, my Christmas gift to you is that they're going to be doing uh, what they did for like Dragon Ball Z Kai or Full, full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is what they're gonna be doing what? for they're calling it the one piece right now. So Merry That's, Christmas, you feel the animal. <laughs> Fantastic. I love the holidays. <laughs> Especially
1: the All Thanksgiving right.
2: one. We're going to get into our proper discussion, which I'm going to throw a little PSA beforehand. To say, hey, there are a lot of old names here that do not correlate well to the English tongue and English language. So if we screw any of these up, it is not our intent. I won't We're even going to do our try best to say here. it right. I'm not even going to attempt. Okay, well, some of some of us are going to try to be respectful, and as we know, try is just a three-letter word for failure as the great sage Chip Ashley, my father, says all the time. So we're just going to go in, starting with one that probably most everyone's more familiar with, and that's the Greek creation myth. And I, and I may not know the totality of it. If there's something you guys want to bring up while I'm talking, like feel free to like you know just shoot it out there and we'll get through it. Like the very brief summary of Greek creation. So in the beginning was nothing but chaos, who was formless, without shape, and eventually... Somehow, because the stories say so, chaos created Nyx. Now, Nyx kind of formed a bit with the night and stuff like that. And this, they then became, as is often the case, a chaotic husband and wife pair who were related to one another. And they had several children, one of those being Gaia, who would form the Earth. That's where we kind of get our idea of Mother Earth from is her. In some retellings of the story, Gaia created Uranus, the sky, in a virgin birth. Some say she had a husband. Some say... It's all over the place. Uh, oh, oh, another thing I should have brought out for a PSA is that the ancients weren't as concerned with continuity as you and I are. So there will be multiple retellings of the same thing, like there's multiple ways Aphrodite was born, there's multiple ways Athena was born, so on and so forth. So when I'm trying to condense these down, I'm just going to give you like what just works and something that doesn't really work if you're looking with a continuity hammer. So. Uranus and Gaia, then, of course, since you make a son, with well, the first thing you do, you didn't become that son's you know, wife in Greek mythology. They had 12 children together. This creates the Titans, who ruled over the world, and they also, from their unions, created the Cyclopses and he- Hecaton Cheres. She- I always screw up that name. It's the hundred-handed people. Really terrifying. Look it up. But Uranus despised his monstrous children and buried them in the Earth. So Gaia, allied with her son Cronus, to castrate his father and become ruler of the earth, which you know just just how he took things over back in the day. And with that, Cronus then becomes ruler of Earth, and he marries his sister Rhea because this is once again Greek mythology. And not learning from the mistakes of the past, fears that his own child, one of his own sons, would do the same to him as he had done to his own father. <laughs> so he does the very logical thing of eating his children, and as after they're being born, you know, instead of practicing any form of birth control, just had the child. Pregnancy, oh, I'm a gobble up my kid. And that's exactly what happens. Until Rhea was able to scheme ways for when Zeus was being born, she was able to pretend that she gave birth to the stone instead, which Cronus ate instead of the actual son, uh, Zeus. I love he that was he was a rock. Of <laughs> Yes, pretty much. Uh, he would be raised, come to power, and then rebel against his father, free his siblings who somehow survived being eaten. Don't worry about it. The story says so, so they do. And they create the Olympians. And they win the war in this rebellion and then rule over the earth themselves and create wonderful sister-brother pairs of marriages because that's Greek mythology. Later on, needing people to worship them, they create humans through the help of friendly titans who join them in their rebellion named Prometheus and Epimetheus for very contradictory reasons that ultimately end up with people just kind of existing. Don't worry about it. Don't ask about it. There's a golden age, a silver age, bronze age people end up existing that's the point because you and i are here how else would that have happened now these titan brothers they had names that meant forethought with prometheus and afterthought epimetheus so zeus had the two of them come down and say look we got animals i want you to make them and i want you to make humans now epimetheus being afterthought gave all the best traits to the animals they could swim under the sea they had claws they could defend themselves with they were faster than humans so what did prometheus have to do he had next to nothing to work with so being clever He went up against the gods, stole knowledge from Athena and fire from the uh, Mount Olympus and Zeus to give the humanity for which he was punished because you shouldn't be stealing from the gods because it's not like they've ever done anything wrong in their lives either. And for this, he was punished, bound up on a rock, and every day an eagle would come eat his liver, it would regenerate, and the process would repeat, and somehow he has a son later on. That's kind of important. How does that happen? Don't worry about it. Now, Zeus seeing that there were only males on the planet because they also didn't put too much thought into that, created the first woman to curse men forever in the name of Pandora. And he gifted her with a jar and not a box because that's a mistranslation. Oh. In this jar held all the evils of the world as well as hope. Because if you look in your Greek mythology, hope is a very evil thing because they didn't have the love of Jesus Christ, as we do when we interpret this story. Now, uh, she opened out of curiosity because she's a dumb woman and women are just stupid in Greek mythology. Unless you're Athena, in which case you're just kind of on your own over there. So all the evils and hope were in the world. Hope was contained in the box and it left out of the box. uh, Excuse me, the jar, I should say. I screwed myself over there. And there you go. But then mankind became so wicked, unlike the gods who were just so noble and pure of heart and just good of deed. So Zeus decided he was going to destroy the world in a flood. Except. For Deucalion and Pyrrha, who learned from Deucalion's father Prometheus how that happen? Once again, don't worry about it. How to survive the flood in a boat. Sounds familiar? Well, that's going to be a recurring theme as time goes on here in these other stories. Now, they then, in very contradictory stories, either learn from the gods after the flood is over how to make more men and women by throwing stones over their backs, or learning that same thing from an oracle who somehow survived the flood or just kind of shows up, depending on the story being told. And that is the Greek creation myth. So, gentlemen, after that long diatribe what are our initial thoughts
1: i love that wisdom itself oh, that's definitely a female characteristic but also all females are going to be dumb in this narrative <laughs> great. <laughs> great great storytelling
2: <laughs> if you want consistency don't come to pathology
1: i didn't really know
3: much about the How greek about You read uh, i didn't really know much about the greek mythology other than boy there's a lot of sex in it and they are into some freaky things man um mm-hmm they uh the the liver the the liver gets me though the guy who's just an eagle's gonna come and eat his liver every day because it regenerates that's just so specific like if it's not going it's also not something that makes sense like you know eyes are so much more accessible than a liver he's gonna he's gonna lose his liver every day poor guy um also my whole world has just been like turned upside down it's a jar Pandora's jar does yep. not sound as <laughs> ominous as that Pandora's sounds bad. Box. Let's go back to box. You know, I'm I'm going Pandora's to Pandora's jar. I just she just got like you know a jar of yeah pickles or something. Did you That's...
1: even see that Doctor Who episode? I feel like you you
2: missed that. It's not a jar, no, I dude. Them. I saw it. It was clearly
1: a box. <laughs>
2: um, I... And if anyone's feeling bad about poor Prometheus, by the way, he is later freed by Heracles in the midst of his twelve labors, oh, so okay. he is able to escape punishment eventually. One of the few happy endings in Greek mythology.
1: Anyway, um, one, one thing I like about about these kind of myths in general that I wish we could do that we obviously can't do. Also, I don't know how many people think about this. Um, back at this particular time and culture, etc., there wasn't this idea of like, this is the inerrant word of God for Greek mythology that didn't exist. They just kind of told stories, wrote them down, and really the best stories won out. There was all kinds of different versions. Most of them just get forgotten because people are like, yeah, that didn't work. Their arguments, a lot of the time, like if you go to like some of the Plato arguments, um, it's like we're giving a really serious debate. And then someone's like, but wait a minute, well, consider what this God did. And it, it wasn't like there's a Bible they're referring to. And they literally just made up a story, and went, yeah, but wisdom God kicked someone who said what you said in the face. So obviously, <laughs> it's like they just made it up out of nowhere. Like I love how, like, they just kind of come back with different stories. And it was basically almost like, democracy best story wins that's what we're going with and this is what yeah, came i was gonna, up gonna with say that's what's astounding
3: right <laughs> yeah i was gonna say something about that too of just like i don't know it's kind of refreshing to hear something where like continuity f that like why do why do we care about continuity you know when we live in an era where like continuity is like you know an obsession of certain corners of the g of the geek universe um just to have something that's like you know don't worry about it how did he? How did they know yeah, we this? Don't, need that. don't worry about it. You don't. It's you know. It it is refreshing to hear yeah. something like that. Um, and for it to be because Christian, I think you and I talked about this a little bit, and Will when we did our review of Clash of the Titans yes. over at MSL, uh, of just like it's so much more casual. And like Josh, as you were saying, it, it's kind of this weird form of democracy of like the the best stories or the ones that were told the most or the people, the powerful people who repeated them the most, those are the ones that we still have today. It's interesting.
2: Yeah. That's one of the fascinating things about all this is, you know, Greece obviously is a land of many islands of many different cultures that started. They weren't all unified. They were like Grecian, maybe racially, but not like all culturally. Sure. And then later on as Grecians grew up together, Going from island to island, they would say, "Oh, you have this local legend here." Well, that's totally what Aphrodite would do, or that's totally what Helios would do, or Apollo, or Artemis, or who have you. And they may have had a different name for it. That's why when you go to different regions of Greece, like there'll be like you know, uh, Artemis Agratera or something like that, and that'll be like in that region, that's what she's known as. But originally, she might have just been Agriatera. She might have been something else, and they just kind of merged them together because well, we want to be unified in this religion. Even don't worry about the continuity it all. It's just going to happen.
1: Yeah, there, there's a. This is more like meta narrative stuff that I'm thinking of, I guess, though, because I'm thinking of it more as like, it, it's fascinating the time that these mythologies are coming out. As, when you think it's, it's like both Greek and Roman, because Romans just kind of took the Greek gods, changed some of the names, and we're like, yeah, yeah, this is this is ours, same stories now. They took over so much of the world. Like, there's a reason why these stories sound so similar to some of the older stories we hear, right? Um, I, I actually find it more interesting when you get to the ancient world where communities completely separate all have a flood narrative. They all have a narrative of, you know, everything came from nothing or creation came from us chopping something in half. Right. Like, like I find those stories more interesting just because, yeah, of course the Greeks just said, ah, we like this story. It's ours. Now our God did that, not yours. Shut up. You know, like, (laughs) of course they did that. Um, But also the other interesting side of this that I'd like to hear kind of y'all's thoughts on, not only are they doing that, but at the same time, Yes, people have been reasonable before. I'm not trying to say everybody was stupid until the Greeks came along, but the Greeks literally invent logic. So that's where you have some really interesting pieces of literature. Like when you look at Plato's Symposium, where you have logic debate, this is what love is, logic debate, here is love's value, it's in this transcendent idea of beauty, Uh, then it's combat that with this story, where once upon a time, when humans were first created, they were both male and female, Uh, then the gods split them in two, they got mad, and people just try to keep colliding, and that's how they... But that's why sex occurs, because people are trying to become that one being. They were created as the first time, and sometimes it's two men and sometimes it's two women because, you know, it just depends what you were created as. What two part being were you at one point in time? (laughs) It's this wild made up story from a comedian that plays an important logical debate amongst these other people who are just using proper logic that was just invented, and it's like, wait a minute, you're combating their logic with story of humans colliding together. (laughs) What?
2: Very interesting how that it all occurs. But it also doesn't help, too. This is something that's developed over centuries. So what might have been a collected volume of whatever the myths were in Hesiod's day are going to be different than when Homer comes along or when we get to Rome and they start adopting Greek culture as part of their own, saying, "Well, oh, we were always meant to have that. You know, Aeneas was totally the founder somewhat of Rome because Romul- Romulus and Remus ultimately were. But you know, they tie it into the Trojan War and all this stuff. So now you both mentioned continuity earlier and how like you don't really care that much. Not to so say you don't care for it. Like it's not as important to you. I'll take the opposite point of view as someone I'm like, I wanna see how things flow together. I wanna see how the world is like agrees with itself as best as possible. And that is not something, especially comics being the big one you mentioned earlier, Brandon. That's not always gonna happen because it's not being written by the same person who started it. Like, you know, Siegel and Schuster are going to be very different than what, uh, let's see, uh, Byrne would say about Superman, or that Bendis would say about Superman, or what the most recent Action Comics run was, was it Philip Kennedy Johnson, I think think was his name, uh, would say about Superman. It's like, they're all gonna have different ideas built on the original myth created by the original authors. So it's difficult to make stories in that one cohesive universe. That's why there are crises all the time and why, you know, there's a crisis on Infinite Earth, and now we're going to restart from scratch. And there's these bare bones of what Batman and Superman and everyone assembled are. Or, you know, we're going to have a secret wars where, you know, Doctor Doom takes Beyond His powers. We're going to have this bare bones of what, you know, who Spider Man is and all, and the Fantastic Four and all this, just so we can make a little continuity. But you're still yeah. building off of something that started however many years ago. And to a nut like me who really appreciates the story making a lot of sense, mm-hmm. I yeah. like it when writers do say, try to agree with themselves as best as possible. It's impossible, I know, Mm -hmm. but I like when it's done as best as possible. Yeah,
1: well, that's what's interesting is like when we look at the Greco world, looking at these mythologies, people did treat it a lot like we do comic books, like I prefer this story to this story. I like this one better. I like your version better. You know, there was a lot of that when we're looking at the writings of people literally discussing the myths. So they didn't take the characters or the stories weren't sacred. What was sacred was the temples and the statues, and that's what's. It's so topsy turvy to us as Christian, especially sure. Protestant Christians. We don't have any statues or anything. Someone can knock the church down. I'm like, yeah, but if they burn a Bible, those are fighting words, you know. <laughs> you know, right. it's like I, I don't know. Like people knocking down yeah. churches all the time, and like we're upset, but it's not like that isn't the sacrilegious thing, you know. Like that, you could still be saved from, but if you don't believe in the Bible. I don't know, man, you know, it's interesting. We take that
3: opposite kind of approach. And another thing on this, uh, and Christian, you were, you're getting there coming to this from the lens of comic books is like another difference for us as Christians is that for the most part, we, many Christians would agree that the canon of scripture is closed. We're not adding new books anytime soon. Although I know Josh has been campaigning for a couple there on social media. Um, yes but Enoch. let's he, go he likes that enoch guy for sure even if it is an enoch who wrote it um but the mm-hmm. the uh going to the comic book thing is that not only do you have you know different writers writing their own perspective into will continue with superman but you also have the um the era of history that it's being written in so you know 90s superman is very different from silver age superman who is very different from henry cavill's superman you know and we don't really have that as yeah. christians are you know the you know, revelation was finished you know during the roman empire when nero's in charge like we don't have inspired works that go all the way up until you know yesterday even though yeah. there are some christians that you know They say they don't, but they would hold, you know, certain pieces of Christian literature very highly, maybe not the point of scripture. But, you know, you think of some of those Christian classics like Pilgrim's Progress, Mere Christianity, um, Desiring God, like some of these books that we would some people would probably wish they're in the Bible. But that is another big difference of like we see this evolve over hundreds of years or similarly with comics Mm -hmm. over the past 80 decades or whatever it's been now of comics. Whereas for us, it's like the canon has been closed for basically 2,000 years. Oh, yeah,
1: but th- there are yeah. different eras of how people interpret it. So even though you don't you still have the same Jesus, the same Bible, uh, if you look at how like Augustine and Ambrose talked about Jesus and you saw Thomas Aquinas describe Jesus, uh, then you came to our time and you or even before time you see Tolkien and Lewis talk about them. Uh, sure. Then you see John Piper talk about them. And if you took the the proper name out and just made it pronouns and said hey which one of these are the same person and asked a bunch of people you're probably not going to get everyone thinking that they're all talking about the same guy true which is also pretty interesting but you know
3: Mm -hmm.
1: christian make sense of this this is your podcast i'm just throwing wrench into all your conversations (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, no, I agree. It, it, the time and the context of the situation the writer is living in is always going to be a major influence on that story. There's very few writings out there that aren't affected by time. Uh, there are very few timeless stories that could just be placed anywhere. But when it comes to Jesus, I'm going to interpret him based on the knowledge gained from 2000 years of collected readings and commentaries from people way smarter than me, based, and also based on my own upbringing as well as my own understanding of Scripture to talk about Jesus in a way that you know uh, a seventh-century Christian in the Western Roman Empire—excuse me, no, uh, Eastern Roman Empire—would look at him very differently, and we'd have issues over iconoclasm or what have you. It'd be all over the place, but it's still the same guy. It's just I'm affected by where I'm at in history yeah, and how yeah. I look at him.
1: Well, it's much like we talked about this on a on one of our episodes of a One Piece, actually, oddly enough of, uh, the word friend to some people, it's just, you know, just, it was just a word, but then the chopper, the reindeer, you said friend. And that's a word that meant way more to him than anybody else. And yeah, they lived in the same time and place in the same story. And I think that's still true, right? To some people, me saying we're like family that holds a different weight to one person than it does to another. So I, like, I think part of why it might yeah. look like they're talking about different Jesuses is because, well, yeah, what Jesus said to, when Jesus said, love your neighbor. To one person who lives in a neighborhood full of nice people, that might mean one thing. To someone who lives where, you know, in a more shady neighborhood or something, uh, that might be a much more challenging community. (laughs) You know, like, like, I think the things that Jesus said probably do just have different impacts, even though we're seeing the same thing.
0: Do you love systematic ecology as much as I do? Of course you do. So why don't you hop on over to the systematic ecology shop and get yourself some merch we have clothing like hats extra soft t-shirts sweaters hoodies we even have glassware and mugs one of my favorite coffee mugs that i use every morning is a coffee mug that has on it share the faith share the geek yeah, I geek my, I get my geek on first thing every morning, thinking of Systemic geekology, and I know you need to hop over there and uh, get you some merch, represent us out in the wild, out in the public, and let people know that you too like to share the faith and share the geek.
1: Um, I want to jump from the meta narrative into the some of the actual narrative before we move on though, because one thing I find interesting is a lot. It says from nothingness, chaos, and nothingness is where everything was created from. Um, my understanding is that the Christian doctrine of creation ex nihilo, creation where God created everything out of nothing, partially comes from Jewish philosophy and also partially comes from some of our Greek philosophy where they were thinking about just logically where would things come from. Using this new thing we created called logic, let put everything into a math structure and say, where would the beginning be? And they came up with nothing or chaos. I find that really interesting. What, is, what do y'all take? So, like, why do y'all think? that's where they ended up with.
2: Because it's kind of similar to Christian narrative. Sure. So you have this idea, where did we come from? It's an easy idea. Everyone's experienced it at some point in time. Okay. If there was nothing, how can something be made from nothing? Or if God himself was always something, that means there was something in the midst of the nothing. What am I supposed to do with those definitions? They seem like to contradict, but at the same time, God has always been, always has been, always will be. And we can debate about time later on, Joshua. We've already done that enough in these past couple of weeks. But for this, it appears to be from what I see in the text, there seems to be a formless, nothing around here, except God and whatever, maybe the heavenly host was there. Maybe they weren't, maybe he created them in the midst of creation. It's not really expounded upon, but he has always been. So there's something and using powers that he has Created something from nothing, which brings us here. And that shows me this his awesome power. And, you know, we've also had debates before, like with Dr. Ord, uh, with Tom, about, you know, how powerful God actually is and stuff like that. And I'm definitely going to go with the more almightier view, with the almighty, you know, asterisks nearby of the human interpretation of that word. God can do everything that's logically possible. Like he's not going to make a married bachelor. He's not going to make a a square triangle because he's using the rules he himself placed upon the earth when he created things.
1: I, uh, yeah, I I think logically, and and I think that's the thing that we all forget about. I feel like at some point in time, logic and science are on one side and Christian and mysticism are on the other side. But when you look at when logic first came up – yeah, of course there's all these ideas of everything's made up of tinier and tinier parts and that's where the word atom first came from not from science but from some a philosopher going everything eventually we keep breaking it down So there must be tinier parts called atoms. And like like there's all kind of weird philosophies around You just look up atomism in like early Greek times. You get some really interesting philosophy but I think there are some stuff that you can just logically deduce from the universe. And I think seeing that everything comes from something else, you have to say that eventually there's either a primary first thing, which is what the Greeks came up with, or everything came from nothing. Like, like there, there isn't a logical way around that. I don't think. So I think that's where a lot of times, and this is something C.S. Lewis talks a lot about. We, we go, Oh, those people back then, they just didn't understand. No, those people understood perfectly. It's just without science, when you're just only using logic, it, and you just use your own ability this is what you come to and that's why so many of these myths have similar origins of everything coming from nothing or you know these these kind of things
3: you mentioned this way earlier josh but i will say even if you did say that everyone was stupid until the Greeks showed up you, i think you would be in the a <laughs> camp with a lot of people who would agree with you mm. I, I i agree that actually no like recency bias is yeah. the real thing and they're you know People were intelligent back, way back in the day, but there, there definitely is a group of people who would say the Greeks were yeah. the first intelligent, sophisticated society. You know why? Because they're proto-America, so obviously they have yeah. to
1: have yeah. Anyone, of course. I uh, I <laughs> want to throw out there that the Greeks uh really did invent logic. There are ways to think that aren't just proper logic that are also completely reasonable and can get to the right answers, which should just make all of us struggle with. Are we treating logic as god? That's another episode. Tune in next time, maybe. maybe.
3: <laughs> there is a point there though, uh, especially well, when we're on, talking about go ahead, Brandon. Uh, especially when we're talking about a, you know, folk religions, mythologies where, you know, magic is going to start coming up that, you know, there there is a place for logic. I was engaged in a Facebook debate, Josh. You saw this conversation I was engaged in, and I won't go into full detail cuz we'll be here forever. And it's not Relevant to the current conversation, but there does come a place that even within Christianity where you have to kind of like turn off the science and the reason and the logic and believe in order for it to work, you know. And this is coming from the guy who, whose podcast is all about intellectualism and trying to bring it back, making we're bringing intellectualism back to Christianity one download at a time. <laughs> Thanks, you two. Um But at the same time I'm doing my part. Yeah, you guys are. Um but at the same time, like, especially this time of the year, yes, there's a place for apologetics. Yes, there's a place for logic and reason and science and all of the archaeology, all of those good research things to help support your faith. But at the end of the day, you still need faith to believe that a virgin gave birth to the son of God.
1: Yeah. Well, and that's where um man, hallelujah, praise the Lord. If we were allowed silence, you know, I just let us all sit in that, but this is a podcast. We can't do silence. Um, one of my, my weirdly enough, one of my least favorite CS Lewis books has one of my favorite things that he has said. It's CS Lewis when he's talking about miracles Hmm. and he kind of deconstructs where does human reasoning come from? And yeah, we could trace logic proper to the Greeks, but they inherited their reasoning from who was before them who inherited it from who was before them. And eventually all human reasoning is just, we figured out how to think from those before us. And eventually the idea of reasoning either came from nothing, in which case, what merit does reasoning actually have, or it came from something beyond us, in which case, wow, God is the God of reason. Either way to to combat the ideas of Christianity purely with logic or reason doesn't make sense which also is a super annoying argument. Please, if you're a Christian, never, ever, ever use that as an argument why Christianity's right. <laughs> but I do think it's a warning for all of us, Christian or not. Uh, how much are you really relying on logic and reasoning? Because at, at, at the end of the day, you're inheriting it from who came before you. Um, just like and this is it's my my most favorite example, even though no one else can relate to it. Um, all of our senses we inherit, you know, it's our experience. We just trust our experience full heartedly. I have a damaged octal nerve i can be in there and i'm like man these roses sure smell like burnt gravy and literally they just don't they don't (laughs) but that is my experience so to me the roses smell like burnt gravy you know and that that is the thing at the end of the day we are humans we are limited by our own experience and that includes our reasoning our reasoning is just something inherited and experienced it's not something that's innately true of itself so it does have its limitations which is where story comes in. And Christian can tie that nicely back to mythology somehow. All right,
2: before we go to our next one, uh, Joshua, did you bring this up too? (laughs) And to slightly get us back on track, you know, this, in the Greek myths of creation, we do have a flood narrative. And this is not the first time we're going to encounter a flood myth in these mythologies. Like, you guys just think it's some massive coincidence that older people groups of the world all have a flood myth. Like, we go to Native American mythologies, there's a flood myth. We go to Polynesian mythologies, there's a flood myth. Pretty much every old and that I am aware of people group has a flood myth. What what do you think about that? Well, there must
3: have been a flood at some point then. And it must have been pretty big or just very ironic. Uh,
1: I think that this is where I get in trouble. I think that all religions and philosophies and everything are humans trying to make sense out of life. And uh, naturally, every single place in the world does flood at some point. That's just a fact of even our own times. And I think if enough people die, you just go, oh, well, everything I know was flooded. So you make up a story around it. So, yeah, of course, everywhere has a flood narrative. It floods everywhere.
3: So it's a coincidence. That's the word. Not ironic. Uh, It's a coincidence.
1: Yeah, less a coincidence and more just a, of course, that would happen. It floods everywhere. We're going to make stories about it.
3: Interesting. I guess it doesn't even, it probably doesn't help that, like, these all are, like, coming out at different times, too. Because isn't the Epic of Gilgamesh predates the Noahic? story oh, right, yeah. so it doesn't even help it's not like everybody okay in the year four we're all going to release at the same time our stories about the flood narrative
1: yeah yeah, yeah a bunch of different people in different places at different times it's just like yeah it seems like there was a bunch of different floods with like what happens now like uh yeah that's just that's nature that's always that's happened
2: As someone who favors a little more, a little more literal approach to scripture, I see, uh, however old the earth is, that at some point in time there was some traumatic event that spread through human consciousness to the point that we've got to keep talking about this until the end of time to let people know, hey, this thing happened that caused the flood myths to start, and you know the Noic Noahic flood, however you want to call that is like first written down later beyond what Gilgamesh is, what we have of other flood myths being written down, but still doesn't negate the fact that something happened. So that's where I land on it. Just covered a little bit on that on Let Nothing Move You since I'm going through Genesis right now, if you guys are curious about that listening right now. But we do have other mythologies we need to cover, so I'm not here to quash conversation, but I am (laughs) here to respect Brandon's time because he's graciously, knowingly come into a conversation he knew was going to be longer than normal. True. So let's move from Greek mythology to Norse mythology. Now, in the beginning was the Ginnungagap. Gap. Easy for you to, to the say. The Void.
1: Bravo. Also bless yeah, you. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Thank you. There was Niflheim, the realm of darkness and ice, and Muspelheim, the realm of fire of the many worlds that would eventually be created later on. When? Don't ask about it. It just happens. When? It seems like there would be a detail they would cover. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I'll get to this in a second. We don't have all the surviving records. Okay. Uh, we're okay. lucky we have what we have. Okay. Um, the ice and the fire would then later spread out and merge to create the first being Ymir. Yes, Josh. Is that the cow? What is no, that we'll the, cow, the cow or the cow, the cow or next?
1: <laughs> the cow, cow will be cow. next.
2: Ymir, who would become the world's first frost giant and progenitor of all giants, also known as Jotun or Jotun, depending on who's pronouncing it. I'm going to say Jotun because that's what I'm familiar with. As he slept, naturally, as happens to you and I, he sweat. And naturally, as what happens to you and I when we sweat, we also create from our armpits the first male and female Jotun. That doesn't happen to you? Oh no, maybe it's just me. And from that, we get the first Jotun who come across the Earth. They're the first inhabitants of the Earth. Not humans, but the giants. From further drops of sweat came the mighty cow Adumbla, who would feed her master's children with her milk. Yeah! What? this is already so much cosmic better. cow, <laughs> cosmic cow. <laughs> the cosmic cow adumbla she needed to replenish herself so what would she do naturally she went to go to some stone and use it as a salt lick now naturally inside of a stone you would assume that just from licking it multiple times over you would form and free the first god buri or bori depending on your translation because he was in the stone why because we say so <laughs> buri <laughs> proceeded to have a son Because the text says so, and we don't know how, but trust us, bro, it totally happened. (laughs) There's no mention of a wife. Just kind of shows up on the scene. (laughs) But then Burry's son, Bor, in stark contrast to his dad, did this crazy little thing called getting married to a Jotun named Vesla. And through that union, created three children, Odin, Vili, and Vey. Later, because Ymir represented chaos or evil or something like that, the trio killed him, and they created Midgard, or the Earth, from his body. Now, the process of slaying Ymir caused all of his blood to flood all of existence and killed everyone except for these guys and two Jotun, Bergelmir and his wife, who managed to survive the bloody deluge by entering an enchanted <laughs> chest, a chest called a looter, and from yeah. them the Jotun mm-hmm. survives. Mm-hmm. There are yeah. Noah and his wife in this story. As this was happening, Odin and his soon-to-be-forgotten brothers in Norse mythology, who <laughs> don't really show up a lot later on crafted the earth from Ymir's remains by creating the lakes and seas from his blood, the rocks and stones from his bones and teeth and the sky from his skull. Then sometime later on, when they had nothing better to do, they were walking by a beach and once again, having nothing better to do, (laughs) saw this tree kind of look like people and made the first two humans, man and woman, ask an embla from the trees. And therefore humans were made. Gentlemen, your thoughts,
1: beautiful, fantastic story. Cosmic cow, let's go.
3: <laughs> there is a significant less amount of sex in this story, and I don't know how I feel about it. It was also a lot shorter. <laughs> and when does Beta Ray Bill show up?
1: Yeah, That's
3: yeah, like Christian.
2: <laughs> but but well, real was question: it Thor three thirty seven or something like that.
3: Real question: When does Thor and Loki start showing up? I, I assume they must not be part of the myth, the creation myth if they're
2: not. Odin's there. We have Odin. Uh, in most surviving stories, from what I researched, they're not mentioned until way later on when Asgard and the realm, the other nine uh, realms are actually being created. And is this found in what the... What would cosmic steak taste like? Cosmic steak. Yeah.
3: It's glowing, for sure. Is this all located <laughs> yeah. in the holy
2: book known as the Haval? That's a that, I question. don't know. This is from what we have left, mm-hmm. because one of the unfortunate parts of the conversion of the Vikings towards Christianity is that you have a lot of pagan stuff left behind and their storytelling and their runes that they would write on stone that would tell of these epic stories, well, you come to that conundrum, we don't want you worshipping these anymore. So what do we do? Well, if we destroy the stones, they won't know the stories anymore. And then we can just move on Christianity. And oh, by the way, if you guys want to hear the original Ragnarok story, you can't because, fun fact, this is a Christianized edition of Ragnarok. Mm in that the world gets created again in a cycle where we have an Adam and Eve figure, which is how Christians use all yeah, Ragnarok happened, guys. But it was just so the world could be created the way God wanted it this time. You should believe in him. Interesting. That's a like gap wow. area. Whoa. Uh, I uh, I'm just so the, the unfortunate amazed. part is as time went on, you know, plenty, plenty of Christians did go around destroying some of the artifacts. Yeah. Uh, destroying those artifacts and we don't have what we do have survived. There's enough to tell a lot of the stories, but we don't have the totality of those stories because of those actions, which I understand. I don't like as someone who likes reading mythologies, but I understand from like a, Hey, we can't have people, you know, syncretizing their old religion with Christianity. What do we do? We got to get rid of things. You can, my, your mileage may vary on how it was handled at the same time though. They totally still
3: synchronize (laughs) synchronize things because they like destroyed stuff or rewrote part of the law or like I've been researching like um, witchcraft and paganism, but like I follow this person on YouTube who like is actually a witch, actually a pagan in actual Germany and not just like somebody who really likes astrology in California, two different, very different types of people. Um, And like you know, she she talks very just neutrally about how things evolve and Yule and Sun and all of these things, and just so many times as we're doing missionary work, Christianizing, colonizing, whatever term you want to use there, there's just so many of these instances where we just got lazy and we're like, just don't do it for Odin anymore. You're doing it for Jesus now erica you know therefore like the giant christmas tree sitting to my right it's like this was totally for odin and christians were like just do it for jesus now just whatever drink your mold wine i don't care
2: (laughs) we'll call Uh, hades
1: hell now right i have two things although it is called hades at least once in the greek new testament in our Bibles. Um, also, there's a few other places. If you follow Michael Heiser, this is just a random side note. There's a few places in the Bible where it uses words where it might have been talking about the Greek gods or it might have been talking about death or something itself. Um, but, yeah, if you look at Michael Heiser's um, divine counsel stuff and specifically when Jesus c- encountered the Greek gods, that is actually really fascinating. And it's actually biblically based. Hmm. Whether or not you agree with him is a whole other story, but it is sure. <laughs> based in the Bible stuff. Um, but uh, no, so I had, I had two takeaways I'll let you guys pick what, what you want me to say first. Um, one is I want to kind of defend synchronism and the other one is <laughs> the other one is, uh, I actually find it fascinating how many of these origin stories start with then we killed something and from death came everything, which would I, Which should we tackle start with first? Point. Start with uh, you the want first me to, point. you want me to start with synchronism? synchronism. Um, yes, never right. There. I, I think Christianity just has always been secretism and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I think the whole thing was uh we were the Jewish faith of turned Christian, and I, I think it's I think it's complicated more complicated than we make it. you know, you have one side that's just like, I'll just get them to say Jesus, whatever that's fine. And then you have the other side that says, if we take anything at all from this, then all of a sudden we're ruining their religion and also we're just com- like perverting Christianity. and I'm like, yeah, actually, you know it's not necessarily either of those if you take buddhism and you see all life is suffering and then take that to say that happened because of sin and then hey let's go find jesus that is still syncretism, but also i think it's just true and that's okay you know or like if you take something like this like this north mythology and you are finding all of these valuable things in it and going hey you know what this unknown god statue over here that paul found That's actually Jesus. Like, I actually don't think there's an issue with some of this. I think the issue is when we're trying to just make everything seem like it's Christianity when it isn't. I think if we stick to true Christianity, I don't care how you get there. Um, There's actually a book. I wish I knew who wrote it. I forget. Um, One of the most challenging books I've ever read is it's called Insider Jesus. And it's about all these different groups around the world who come to be Jesus followers and believe in salvation and all that, but don't want to use the term Christianity because in their culture, Christian means someone who kills other people or Christian means something terrible. And they're like, I just don't want to use that term. So you find people who found Jesus through the Buddhist texts and said, wait a minute, this guy suffered for us. All life is suffering and he suffered for us. Or you see people who were Hindus who found Christianity, who found Jesus through their own thing or, you know, Islamic people who found Jesus in the story of the Quran and went, wait a minute, What is this about? Um, And I think it's actually really challenging to not just say, oh, syncretism, let's throw this away, but to think, are we helping people find Jesus or are we just trying to make it look like they found Jesus so we can check the box? Like, I think that's what the concern is, not just throwing that term out there and then going up, can't do that and moving away.
2: Yeah, I agree with that idea. I'm not against the idea of syncretism wholly because yeah, yeah, I do say hell instead of Hades when I'm reading my Bible, you know, that came from. Norse mythology. That came from the fact that I come from an English background that was introduced as a way, okay, you already have this established idea. Let's just say the word I'm going to use here doesn't affect you the same way as hell would, so let's do that instead. I am against ideas, like especially, you know, something more modern in the case, of like the Santa Muerte cults in Mexico primarily right now, where you have local figures who they make into uh, saints in their own eyes without being approved by the Catholic Church, and because it's part of the culture already. So they combine the two together. Yeah. I, when it's more like uh, for Voodoo, incorporating Christian ideas into that. And you start introducing like God's like Chango and stuff into the mythology. That's where I get angry and upset and they're wasting their time. They're not really like focusing on Jesus. They're adding the wrong things, but yeah. like incorporating things into your culture, into your church, it's not a bad idea because you, you already know what that thing is. It helps you understand what is being said. Yeah. I, even like
1: Brandon, This is going to upset some people, but even like the yoga stuff, uh, (laughs) because the Bible tells us to meditate in the Lord. If you use Yoda to to meditate, and then all of a sudden you're using Yoda to meditate on the Lord. I I don't think that's a sin. Sorry, guys who are like, oh, yoga came from a different religion. Yes. So did literally all of our beliefs. They started as (laughs) Judaism.
3: You said Yoda. Sorry, Brandon.
1: Uh Uh Yoda.
3: You said Yoda. (laughs) No, I was I don't know if I really have much else to contribute on the syncretism. I think you guys have really uh, covered it on that one. What was the other one? The fact that we like to kill people in order to create
1: things. Oh, yeah. But side note, (laughs) one thing that has really irritated because you talked about how we say hell instead of Hades, because, you know, we came from Norse backgrounds. The most annoying Bible translation I ever heard of was people who changed where it says Jesus is the bread of life to something else because in their culture, bread's really expensive. So they changed it to like Jesus was like. The eggs of life, or something, and I'm like, I hate that so much. Not for any particular reason, it just sounds so awful to me. <laughs> like, it says bread, that's what it is. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> um, that's the one thing that I get really specific and, and, and literalistic dominant about. I'm like, no, this is what the Bible said, it said bread, not eggs. Um, <laughs> sorry, anyway, that, that was a side note, but yeah, no, how many places in these different mythologies they have this story of. Yeah, this God or this being was split into two and from its blood creation came or from this act of violence, everything came. Like, I find it really interesting how often that appears in different mythologies. Um, And since that's like the dominant thing it's violence in the Norse mythology, I thought this would be a good time to talk about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, well, when you live in a very violent world, how else are you going to think things come about when you live in a state of time? Like we live in a very modern age, obviously, because we're living in it right now. But we have this sense of protection and safety that doesn't exist in the same way of people of this time. When they're forming these myths, when they're forming their cultures, it's like, hey, if I don't have a a fence around my house, people, raiders are going to steal from me, or the king's people are going to steal from me, or what have you, or this invading army from over here is going to rampage through this land. So I need to have an organized army. I need to have all these things. So when I see things, nations being created by blood. Well, obviously, I'm going to correlate the same when it comes to my religion as well. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. In def- Brandon, do you have anything? In defense of the Odinist, because I actually knew some
3: Odinists back in the day. Yeah, they do come from, you know, the Vikings, I should say. The Vikings do come from this very, like, violent, aggressive world with dragons and learning how to train them and other things. But uh, <laughs> what, what is interesting is that. Uh, as i was getting to i was talking to my old coworkers who were odinists the haval which is their holy book a lot of it at least from what they told me i've yet to be able to actually read it for myself but from what they have told me cuz i was like so what do you believe like i get it you've you have venerated odin but like what does it teach a lot of it has to do with loving your neighbor A lot of it is just like taking care of your sloppy drunk friend as you're leaving the bar and make sure they get home safe and to take travelers in to make sure that they have a place to stay that is safe. You know, again, kind of going back to this, like if it looks like Christianity and it smells like Christianity or at least teachings from it, is it really all that? Like, do we have to toss it all out? So even though they did come from this very like, violent world this very not even violent aggressive world of just like being seafaring people and whatnot Um, there is still like within this religion this idea of like yeah but we still do take care of each other we still do love one another we still make sure that people are safe
1: yeah and I see see my, my perspective will be a little bit different than at least Christians I actually I'm not sure where Brandon stands on some of this but we'll find out I guess I think the Old Testament Bible, like the Hebrew Bible, does borrow very heavily from other religions. And, and, you know, I think it's for a reason, like some of these things that are true are still true, but we're going to put it in context of what we think the ultimate truth is. And we're talking about Yahweh, Jesus, whatever, that kind of thing. Um, speaking of which, one of the most interesting debates of is the Bible literal or not? For me, um, modern day, if you look at like Pete Inns and trimper Longman, they're like best friends that disagree very heavily over this. <laughs> Where Pete ends is like, yeah, nope, I can't believe this literally because why would God sanction genocide over and over and over throughout the Bible? Um, and then when you come to like Psalm 74, if you're reading it like the original language, it's talking about God creating and saying that God smashed the head of Leviathan, And from that rivers flow and from this killing of the Leviathan, this part of the earth comes from. So it sounds like God's telling a story of creation coming from him slaying a Leviathan, which we know Leviathan and that culture represents chaos. So that comes back to our Greek story of did everything come from chaos? Did everything come from this? So we get some of that mythology in here. And that's where a lot of people have a hard time taking parts of the Bible, literally where it's God saying, Hey, kill everybody. Um, and then Trimper Longman's argument to that is okay. But how many times does the Bible use as evidence, God being there for his people, some of these stories and how can it be evidence if it didn't really happen? You know, so that's where there's a lot of tension going back and forth on some of those ideas. But the Bible does also mention this in Psalm 74, this idea of creation coming from violence and the Hebrew people also, you know, that's where I'm weary to just throw something out as, oh, that was a violent culture. Because I don't want to throw out, oh, this is how they understood God. They understood God being for genocide because I I was a violent culture. I don't want to just kind of throw that term out and say that makes it okay for us to ignore this now. So that's where I wanted to sit in this and think about it for a minute. Christian, how do you
2: respond to all this? Uh, Refresh my memory. 74 was written around the time of the Babylonian captivity, correct? I believe it was during the Babylonian captivity, but yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, It's sparking a memory. I think from what the commentaries I've read, it's more the idea of, this is what the people around you believe. And you're in exile right now. They're looking down on you. They're saying your God hasn't won your God let you in this situation. Well, just to remind them using their own cultural context, how I actually made things and I'm protecting you to this day would be how I would take something like that.
1: Yeah. And that's like, a, I think that was Tim Keller's response to that kind of statement of Psalm 74 specifically. Um, there's also, he had pretty much the same criticism when we're talking about Genesis one, we'll get to that later where he was like, yeah, just as one wasn't meant literally because obviously it's pulling from the Egyptian gods. Um, But yeah, that's Tim Keller. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But what about the rest of it, where God straight up sanctions genocide for this huge section of the Bible? And um, how do we, I I guess the, the idea is, how do we make sense of not just this Norse mythology, but also our own Christian beliefs, where a lot of this writing, people want to pass it off as, oh, it was just violent times. Is that an okay thing to do? Or should we actually think of these ideas and struggle with them as if they're relevant even in a less violent time?
2: we should definitely be aware of where they were at when they live around the Canaanites. They're not going to be the kind of people you want as neighbors. And God is asking them to do something that we would find reprehensible. But when we see what happens when they don't do what they're supposed to do and wipe them out, what happens? They keep falling into sin. They keep worshiping other gods. They seek after other things that God knew would happen if they left those bad influences around them. And the, you know, the genocides isn't more the modern term in a sense is more racially or culturally, excuse me, not, not culturally, more racially multi, uh, motivated. This was a cultural thing. You do not want these people as neighbors. It is not good for Israel to be around them because you're going to go, well, they practice that. Why can't I do it? And then they seek after it time and time again, falling into sin. With, I mean, judges alone. How many times does God have to come in and save them because they do the exact same thing over and over again? First, second Kings, same thing. Mm-hmm. Brandon, thoughts?
3: Yeah, um, I don't know. Well, this is something that I've been spending some time on in general, um, because it does seem like this is particularly among people who fall maybe more in the universalist category um, or liberal in theology in general. This has always been a big sticking point. Joshua, you could just say the Book of Joshua and also, I guess, judges, has always just been a big sticking point of if God is love and he loves the world, why is he slaughtering all these people through humans? Um, Or I guess you could even go back to Noah again. We just talked about all these flood narratives. Um, You know, why did God choose to drown everybody to death or at least the cultural, the, the region, rather, whatever you want to go with there? And it's hard. And I know there's been people who say, well, I'm just choosing not to believe these sections, which I don't think. I think that is never the right answer, no matter what part of the Bible you're in. If your solution is, well, I'm just not going to believe that part. And it, if you're just going to leave it as like a dead subject, I think that's wrong. You, know, you should be willing to at least engage and wrestle with it. I have heard some people more recently come to this with a I think I've also heard Peden's kind of describe certain things this way as well, of just kind of like the people are just understanding it the way that they would culturally and that God didn't actually want them to kill everybody. He wanted them to take the land and to possess it, but he didn't want them to kill everybody. The problem I have with that, at least as of right now, is one, as Christian brought up with the book of Judges, they don't take over the entire land and that causes problems the other thing is that i have an issue with this is that to me this goes back to what we were talking about earlier with c.s lewis is that we are implying then that these people are a little dumb that there is a bit of a recency bias thing of well we're the enlightened modern people not that they weren't the enlightened modern people when they were the most current generation on the earth. So they just are misunderstanding what God has to say. And to be fair, yes, there's been entire generations of Christians throughout the history of Christianity and Judaism misunderstanding what God told them to do. That is a thing that does happen, but just to yeah. kind of like brush it all aside as this, like they just misunderstood the assignment. I don't, I do I have to spend more time on it, but that answer just doesn't work for me right now. But at the same time, then this whole idea, you know, this very quickly leads into all of the very horrible theology that has also been used to justify genocide, which we're kind of seeing a little bit right now with certain things happening in the Middle East. Um, Yep. So I understand Uh wanting to kind of push back against this kind of theology because there has been a very bad use of this teaching in the past and even Uh in the present. So I understand the push and pull here. It's just it's a very messy topic. And it, it, you know, Uh it is different. The culture is different. We can't we can't deny that part, whether they misunderstood the assignment or they were smart people. Regardless, it was a different culture and it was violent but we also live in a country where there's so many mass shootings that is kind of like numb and we're just like oh yeah someone else got shot yesterday big whoop like that's just kind of our attitude anymore yeah. so i don't know if that answered the question
1: <laughs> yeah but. no i think i think it did i think the problem is if you're if you have any form of humility and you don't want to be that kind of person it's like oh no we're just enlightened now and they're not then it's just hard to answer this like i don't think there's an yeah. easy straightforward um, I, I, my, what I lean towards, cause I don't have a solid answer to it or a solid belief on it, which annoys Christian because I do a whole podcast where I don't have solid answers to things, but it's fine. Um, I lean more towards thinking about the type of literature it was. It was fairly recently in the history of humanity that we came up with this idea of historic text being, we're going to literally write word for word da- down what happened. So even when they told their history, they were usually writing with we want to get this point across rather than we just want to document what happened. So I I don't, I use that to think of it as less of this might not be exactly what happened. It might be close to what happened, but let me see, what is the point here? And I think a lot of the times when you're in a violent culture, violence is kind of the metaphor that you use. It's the language of the day. Hmm. So even if I might not believe, let's go back to the Norse thing that they, I don't necessarily think that these people necessarily truly believed everything was created from God slaughtering something. I think rather the idea was, the God they served was powerful. And this is how we're going to show that power or, you know, he was sovereign or he the goodness won over evil was kind of more the idea and their language that they put that to was violence because that's what they knew. Um, So I, I think when we go through the Bible, I don't think they're necessarily trying to write down word for word. This is what happened in these wars. I think all of those wars and stuff happened, but they didn't tell it to document it. They told it to get a point across. And sometimes when like Psalm 74, I think the point is God created everything out of nothing. There could have been chaos, but the God of order triumphed over that. And and I think those messages are kind of what I gravitate towards. Because even if I'm wrong and those things did literally happen, I'm still gravitating towards the message. So cool, I was wrong, but I got the message. So whatever.
2: Let's move to two Mesopotamian myths. We'll start with Akkadians first and then go Babylonian second. And yes, I know there's some people out there going to be persnickety. They all kind of mingle together at some point in time. Uh, are yeah, Assyrian, Babylonian, Akkadian, Sumerian, uh, whatever, all over the place. So just deal with it. This is what we're going to be talking about. So we'll start with Atrahasis. Now, originally, only the gods existed. Chief among them were Anu, Enlil, and Enki, the gods of the sky, wind, and water, respectively. At first, they utilized other den gear, which are kind of like, Lesser, they were still gods, but they weren't demigods or anything like that. They just weren't as important as the big, you know, head honchos. And they had the Dengir to do their dirty work for them while they lived in luxury. But when the Dengir rebelled, they decided to look for cheaper labor. And because they didn't feel like hearing the grievances of their employees, I don't know how that is any way close to what's happening right now. Don't worry about it. They then had the goddess Mommy, yes, Mommy, create just humans for their stories. own ends instead. <laughs> <laughs> this is so much fun. We can do this every day. Uh, who did so by crafting some clay figurines and then mixing that with the blood and flesh, the flesh of A, whose sole purpose in the story is to have existed at one point in time, only for him to die off screen after his fellow gods killed him just so his essence could be used for this process. I'm pretty sure that's the only time he's mentioned. There's a character <laughs> Thus, in every horror movie made. that
3: is that person. They're, they're oh. just oh, are yeah. to be killed <laughs> in the first five minutes. It,
2: it, they, they all went to his house, broke in, and he said, who's oh, there? Man. And they said, you're not supposed to say that. You're not going to survive the film. And he died. Now, humans were made from this process. However, humans did what humans do, and they kept making more humans. And the gods decided they needed to do some spring cleaning every 1,200 years or so. So Enlil would send droughts and famines to cull them, you know, get them back to smaller numbers. But guess what? Humans kept making more humans. Time went on. Enki, however, really liked humans. And he tried to help them. Even when he learned that Enlil decided to wipe them all out with a flood and Enlil had made him swear an oath not to tell them about what was going to happen. So what did Enki do? He spoke through a reed wall to the hero Atrahasis, which somehow circumvented the oath they took not to warn humans of the flood. Like, oh, I didn't really say that. I was just saying it through the wall. Anyone could have heard me. Maybe I think it was what they were going for. And the then gets Atrahasis to get the idea to build a boat and put his family and animals in it who are spared from the flood. The survivors then get to continue living because um, basically at the end, of God's can just kind of shrug their shoulders and move on with their lives. And we're still around today. So good for us. We uh, stop here and go to uh, Let me just, let me just, you know how Disney, like Pixar created those little
1: shorts of Sporky ask a question. I now want SG to start Christian tells a story.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This is great. I'll add that to the 10 other projects <laughs> I'm doing because of you it's hot, introducing yeah. me to this terrible world of podcasting. <laughs> uh, you go ahead and do the other story you want, I,
1: as far as I'm concerned. I will say, before I, you okay. jump to
3: the next one, uh, a moderate use of sex in this version, which was nice. And yep, um, yep. I had another one, like an actual one. Oh, I like how, uh, well, there was that. I was going to say, I like how the flood is like actually tied into this story. Like, it seems like all the rest of them are kind of like, and then also a flood happened. But like this one is like, no, this is like a central part to this one.
2: Proceed. Okay. Next up is our boy Utnapishtim. This would be more Babylonian in nature, primarily. Don't at me. In the Epic of Gilgamesh, the titular character is tasked with finding his immortal ancestor, Utnapishtim, who was a survivor of the flood caused by the gods eons ago. If you look at a lot of the myths, uh, even Sumerian and Babylonian kings, their kings live for like even longer than we see the patriarchs in Genesis. It's very fascinating. That's its own thing. But we'll get back to the story. Now, this whole story is fitting because the world began as just endless water in every direction. So it makes sense to water for water to wipe it away for good. However, sometime in the beginning of time, the personification of sweet water, Apsu, and a personification of salt water, Tiamat, met one another. And then they created the gods, eventually leading to the birth of Anu, and Lil, Marduk, and Ia; these new gods were considered to be too noisy by their progenitors, and like any good parent, they decided to plan to murder them.
1: This is the most comic book of done. all of them. We this is the- like, like the new gods. Like that, there's <laughs> no, no way that's not a comic, we're comic
3: series. <laughs> we're also back to murdering children.
2: It's been a while since we've done that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've missed that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a go, classic. Now, unfortunately, for Opsu and Tiamat. Ia's biggest character trait is that he's the all-knowing, which means he knows about plans made to destroy the gods because he knows all things. So he decided in his infinite wisdom that he didn't want to die. So he captured Apsu, which is you need Tiamat. infinite wisdom to decide to... such things.
1: <laughs> Indeed.
2: So he captured Tiamat. Some say they actually killed, Tia, uh, excuse me, uh, captured Apsu. Some say actually killed, depends on who's translating, uh, which different whatever are found. And this angered Tiamat for some reason, who decided to attack them with monsters she made for just such a purpose. Wow. Marduk then stepped forth and slew Tiamat in battle after capturing her with his mighty net. Marduk then uh, cut up Tiamat's body and created the heavens and the earth while also organizing the celestial bodies. Oh, how convenient! He then had Tiamat's son, Kingu. Yep. What was
3: that, Brandon? I said, oh, how convenient. Also organizing the <laughs> cosmics. Thanks for taking care of that while you're out,
2: out there. He's a very efficient man. But he also killed Tiamat's son Kingu and used his blood to mix with clay in order to mold the first humans into being so that they wouldn't have to do menial labor again, and in order to have people worship them, depending on who's telling the story. However, humans, they found out, are also noisy, so not learning their lesson from before, this angered them, especially Enlil, who had had planned to send a flood to wipe them out. And this would have worked, forgetting the fact that he had his bro, Ea the All-Knowing, who also liked humans. Aware of the fact that he knew this because he knew all things, so uh he was told not to warn Utnapishtim. And what he did instead is he went out, ordered him to make an ark. I think that's actually close to the word that's being used there. I'd have to look it up again. As the earth was flooded for six days, whereafter Utnapishtim sent out a raven to see if there was dry land. And when the raven didn't return, he left with his family to offer sacrifices to the gods. And for his faith, was granted immortality alongside his wife. Gentlemen, go ahead. Mm. Man. Um,
1: Fascinating. That's all.
3: We're getting a lot of reoccurring themes at this point now. So we have, you know, murdering children. We're back to that. We're back to um, creating humans because the gods need to have their ego stroked. Um, Both of these very heavily centered on water and uh, flood. It's like very important to their stories. I think this is also where you get some of the gods that H.P. Lovecraft then works into some of the Cthulhu mythos, Marduk, um, Ipna What was that one? Ipna
2: something. Absu Tiamat. Absu Tiamat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If he uses those or not, I know he uses Dagon. Dagon shows up. I think he's more. Is that Canaanite? Yeah, that's a Canaanite deity. Canaanite
3: deity. I think there's one. I'd have to look it up. I think there's one that's either it's from this or from uh, Egyptian that is also one of the uh, ancient gods or uh, ancient ones rather. Um, mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. Josh is right. There is a little bit of this, like it's a little comic booky at this point, especially with the whole, like they're just pissed off. That they're noisy. Like, what is that?
2: <laughs> I love that. Like, oh, they're making way I, too much. You know, like there was nothing. I mean, now you know, there's it? something, and something sucks. <laughs> I mean, you're the only parent here right now, Brandon. You can surely you know associate with the idea of <laughs> oh yeah, that's true. your ch- son to shut up, even though you love him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, yeah. it does happen. Uh oh, an- he
1: cries, Brandon <laughs> eliminates <laughs> the <laughs> earth.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I also like another reoccurring theme that's been coming up is that we all hate the humans except for that guy over there. That one likes the humans and he's going to screw it up for all the rest of the people.
1: <laughs> oh man, what So, there's always one. Man. No, th- th- so there are there are a few. I wanted to bring up some of the other stories too, but uh the the last one you mentioned, I forget what you said the name of that was, but it, it sounds very similar to the Enuma In- Elish, which I think is the oldest religious text we've ever found. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's pretty much the same as that. What I find interesting though, is that, that version of the Mesopotamian creation stuff you kind of see live on in the, so there's two, there's argument of what is the oldest living religion right now? Is it Hinduism or is it Judaism? a lot of people will argue one or the other in scholarship. What's interesting is that story. You could see some of that in the Hindu cosmology stuff of like every so often everything gets recycled starts over you know this reincarnation idea the whole sure. earth will go through a dying season and then come back and live again you see that in the the multitude of gods fighting all that kind of stuff like you can see that in the hindu text the other one um you see the Gil- the gilgamesh epic and then like um eridu genesis is the one i wanted to bring up where You still you see that live almost directly in the Hebrew text and then also come up in some of our Norse and Greek stuff that we're talking about, like where we see. Yeah, we see the gods, the Titans versus the Olympics. Olympians sound very much like the new gods versus the old gods to me. Um, And you got to remember, this is older than the other stuff. We kind of did this out of order. This one came before the Greek and the Norse and all that. So this they kind of pulled from some of this, it looks like. Um, Let me let me the Eridu Genesis. Uh, I'm not going to do any of the proper names because I won't even try. I told you guys I wasn't going to (laughs) try. But you have like Ea and some of the gods end up creating man. Um, They created out of like the death of the goddess of Genesis or or goddess of wisdom or something. I don't remember. Um, Mankind eventually caused themselves to be in a miserable condition. You end up with the creation of kingship. The gods themselves have mankind build Babel. You remember the Tower of Babel story? Here we go. They have mankind build a babel. From there, you get all the different peoples, the different languages. Um, eventually, mankind becomes so corrupt that a great flood happens. Uh, I don't remember how to say this guy's name. Zesudra, maybe. That was the only one I attempted. You're you're welcome, maybe, or I'm sorry. One of the two. Um, he's told to build a big ark. He agrees to build the ark. Brings all the animals on. Giant flood happens him and the animals survive. He castrates himself for the gods and then is granted immortality for doing so. So, yeah, what I think is what's interesting about that one, though, is the gods create man and woman out of the clay. That sounds familiar. Then you see mankind becoming miserable because of their own SIDS and God flooding everything. That sounds familiar, you know, like it's like "Hmm, this sure does seem like a story I've heard before.
2: And it came so to them. You have you have the uh, the raven being sent out. Like, obviously, we have the doves oh, yeah. in scripture, but, but there's still a raven in that story that is sent out to see if there's any dry land.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But uh, for for me, you know, this is easy for someone who doesn't need the Bible to be literal. Like, OK, yeah, they use these stories to tell new stories with different meanings. They actually interpret reinterpreted these stories to tell a Christian or a you know Jewish meaning instead of what the original stories were. I'm able to look at that as whatever, but for, for Christian and maybe Brandon, I'm not sure if you take these stories more literally, does it become a challenge that there are older versions of the story written by someone else that are a little bit different?
2: It's just like what we talked about earlier. It's that, that common, uh, immensely tragic thing that happened in our mutual past that people. I all have a different story, because there's a game of telephone as time went on. Like when they went further away from God, they started adding new people to the story, or they started, you know, telling it this way. this is why it actually happened, or because we want to worship these gods instead of God. So it makes perfect sense to me that pretty much every culture in the world, uh, uh, as ancient as these, has a flood myth that even though these were written down first, the oral traditions that haven't survived. There was still people, a rim that left behind, worshipping God, who knew the true story. Okay. So you would still say that the Bible story was the original story, the other one just happened to be written down
1: first? Yes. Okay. Like, just coincidence that it was written first?
2: No, not a coincidence. It's just they had the better writing at the time. They yeah. had the better culture okay. able to do such a thing. Brandon, same question, but I'm not sure what side you fall on, so you I'm could gonna, just- I'm gonna
1: Totally josh. curveball me here. I'm gonna josh this josh. Perfect. <laughs> because,
3: well, Josh, if floods happen everywhere, well, then clay is everywhere. Sex is everywhere. Humans are everywhere. Birds are everywhere. So to me, the assumption that, oh, they're just all pulling from other religions to kind of put this together. Well, then the, all of these things that we're addressing uh, is stuff okay. that is everywhere. So... I don't know. I mean, I would say I kind of fall I usually fall in like some moderate place anyway. So I kind of fall in this place where it's like I'm willing to put more doubt into the literalness Mm -hmm. the further back you go into scripture, like the older, like Genesis one passages, but also at the same time, there is this caveat of like, well, this assumption that we're all just kind of pulling off of other religions that did happen. Like we said earlier, mm-hmm. the Romans got, the Romans just hit control C control V on the Greek mythology, essentially, or command C command V for all you Apple users, hmm. not to alienate you. <laughs> Although you always alienate me. <laughs> Android person. Oh, um, man so like i think it can work both ways of this like well if we're going to just use this assumption that like floods happen everywhere because they do so that's how we all happen Mm -hmm. to have a flood narrative well people are everywhere and they're all banging each other so that's how we all have this we need to create a reason for a story of how we all got here Mm -hmm. because one argument i also hear a lot from uh In apologetics courses, I guess you can say, is that other religions don't work, especially these older pagan ones, because they're all about the gods and their need to have their ego stroked. And they're, you know, they're just humans. They're basically just acting like humans. You see that a lot, especially in like the Greek one, I would say, of the ones we've talked about so far. But also the punchline is always us trying to explain how we got here. So I would still argue that like all of these religions are still about me. It's not about the gods. It's about Mm. me. It's about how did I get here where I think Christianity does answer that question. And depending on who you are, maybe it's a little bit more metaphorical or allegorical or whatever words you want to use there. But it's still not. The point is not about us. We're kind of like we get it done and over with that way we can get to redemption. It's I would say it's still more about God than it is trying to explain how did I get here?
1: Yeah, I see that. I will say though, part of why I don't like the criticism of those religions don't work because their gods just act like human. The God of the Bible acts very human. A lot of the times he got angry at this. He repented. He showed his face, you know, it's like, Oh, it's almost like he became human at one point. Almost.
3: Pause for dramatic effect.
1: (laughs) Christian. Yes. Oh, this is your show. I was just, you know, handing it back to you.
2: Uh, anthropomorphism blah, blah 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 that word uh god taking on human traits that he himself does not have because it helps us understand him yeah so that's what i got for yeah. for but god repenting because god doesn't repent.
1: that same explanation would work for the greek gods if you were going to be defending them though like i, I feel like no, what's, I what's interesting them? is <laughs> I, I want to first point out brandon pointed out an inconsistency in my own stuff which is something i haven't thought of before where yeah i just assume flood narratives happen because floods happen everywhere and didn't assume the same thing happened with these other stories and just assume they were borrowing from them because you know that's what scholarship says and i'm like yeah they're smart i believe them but that is kind of an inconsistency to assume one thing and not assume it in the other place so that that's interesting i'm gonna have to wrestle with that but also i do think there's an inconsistency, especially as we're going into our next Mm -hmm. year thinking of other religions i don't want us to just be like oh well their gods are humans and ours aren't well ours acts like a human well that's because we're anthropomorphizing so what if they were doing the same thing you know i think we actually have to give them the same credit we give ourselves. If we're going to have these debates,
2: oh, that's what you meant. Yeah. I can see that from, from their perspective. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't have any okay. like good okay. responses to it or why we shouldn't believe their religion. I
3: just know. Right where now. does, before we uh, go on, to only one before we go on to whoever's next, where does Zoroasterism fall into this? Cause I know that's like a Babylonian Mesopotamian mm-hmm. thing. Is this, is that a separate thing from what we're talking about right now?
2: It's its own thing that has its own gods. There's a little bit of intermingling. I'm not an expert by any stretch of the imagination. Man, I was really hoping someone was going to answer I, this. It, but I, I do enjoy what little I have read about it. Uh, I think my favorite thing is that the the only way you get to heaven sometimes is you have a really good jumper. <laughs> There's a oh, schism from one spot yes. to the other. So uh, sorry for the poor disabled people out there. Including uh, me. Anger mind you. <laughs> yeah, and the other guys, don't, they don't really care for you. Sorry, that's so around, Zoroa Aspianism, Another word I can't say. Yeah, Th- there's more out there. That's like that is I don't fascinating. Know, though I'm just say I don't know enough okay. to have a firm opinion. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Let's go. Hebrew mythology, or yeah, I will still Let's say mythology because myth creation, doesn't mean
1: f- f- fiction. Just for the record, myth can be true.
2: <laughs> so. Obviously, we come from a Christian standpoint. I didn't put anything in my outline for this story, so because I'm assuming, I really hope so, that we all have read that part of scripture. But assuming there's someone in the audience who knows nothing about it, like would you guys like to go through it? No,
1: I want more short stories by Christian.
2: Well, Josh already covered the whole Psalm 74
3: thing, like he said he was going to.
1: Yeah, yeah, I did my part. God created everything from killing the Leviathan. What are you talking about? <laughs>
3: Do love me some Middle Eastern Loch Ness Monster content. So, of course. So
1: Bible one or two stories or more, depending on your view, Genesis one, God creates the heavens and the earth. And then later decides to fill the earth with stuff. The last of those things being humankind gives them the command to be fruitful, multiply and to, you know, nurture creation. God commanded humans to be tree huggers. Uh, then Maybe the next story, maybe the same story, depending on your view. God creates man and then later decides, let me create animals. And then it was like, ah, you know what? I think man needs a female, creates the female. Everything seems perfect. And then boom, serpent shows up. I think this is Genesis three, but you know, whatever. That's still yes. part of the creation narrative. uh, uh Is they were commanded to not eat of a tree that gives them knowledge of good and evil. Serpent was like, yeah. What if you do? You'll be like God, though. Wouldn't that be kind of cool? Woman did it. Woman convinced man to do it. God shows up and goes, hey, what'd y'all do? And they were like, no, nothing. What are you talking about? God's like, oh, so you sinned and you lied. So you double sinned. Double punishment. The end. Is that is that okay? And then it takes a minute before we get to our flood narrative.
3: Uh, I guess it might be worth pointing out a few few
1: chapters later.
0: (laughs)
3: That's true. Since uh, since
1: we're including the floods. Yeah. Humans uh, Uh, start sinning, start killing each other, start becoming awful. One person remains good. That is Noah, not this other guy. He's told to build a boat, builds a big boat with uh, a a decent amount of his family, not just one other person includes all animals of everywhere, supposedly, depending on what you take by the word all Um, giant flood happens, maybe. I mean, it's still giant, regardless, because he was in a boat for 40 days. And then at the end, gets off the boat, does not castrate himself, instead Port is caught, and caught dancing naked from his kids and you know, other stuff happens. And yeah, Noah continues to have a story that's very interesting, but also is given that same command from the beginning of being fruitful, multiplying, and caring for the earth. So that's interesting. It's like a creation mock 2, take two.
2: Yeah. And <laughs> Joshua, that was a solid C. It's no, there's no stories by Christian. No, that is, that's <laughs> true. <laughs> but yeah, Joshua did bring up a really good point in that in Genesis one and two, like depending on how you're reading it, these appear to be separate stories or like and the way I take two is that it's more of a clarification on the events of one. Like how do you two wrestle with like what seems to be or could even be opposing narratives or like interpretations of the same things? I'll be brief. 'Cause I think Josh won't be
3: uh, I'm with I, I fall with you, Christian, on this one of uh episode two is just a clarification of episode one of Genesis. Um Joe Day, friend of the show, was on MSL back in November to dialogue about creation because they've been going through uh the book of Genesis over on Kingdom on the Road. And we talked a little bit about this of this idea of it being just A clarification of chapter one, but uh, also just kind of talked about the, uh, like we were saying earlier, kind of this idea of holding it a little loosely of we don't know exactly how all of this works out. You know, Ken Ham likes to tell all the evolutionists that you
2: weren't there. And you know what, Ken, neither were you, bub. Like, (laughs) Uh Uh, Yeah, uh, I'll just go on the record here. I don't like Ken Ham or Kent Hovine. Supposedly people on my side of this, I think they're the most arrogant people in the world, and I just want them to shut up. Yeah. Can- Continue, Absolutely. Brandon. Sorry. No, that's really all I have to and say. And if, like, if you like them, uh, I'm not saying you're an idiot. I just don't like them. Yeah. All right, Josh, take it home.
1: Well, I do disagree with both of you. Ironically, this is one of those things that I, that I feel more certain of than most of the other things where I, I feel like it's pretty clearly not the same story, in, in my opinion, Okay, uh, you know. Um, so, so I'll say there's three different narratives here. Actually, um, Genesis one, one seems to have just from like different archeological evidence and stuff. And the dialect that it was using seems to be a separate thing in of itself. Okay. Don't really know where that came from. That's hard to actually follow where that came from, which is why I can't get into the gap theory. Cause it seems like that's a whole nother thing that's just used to open up this other narrative of Genesis one, two through Genesis two, four which yes, I just hate the way we do chapters, but whatever where you see, it's a different type of literature. It's a different dialect. There's different names for God. There's a different order of creation. The animals are created, and then man and woman at the same time. So different. it's, It's a poem. So it's not a narrative. It's using this word for God. That's Elohim. That's gods. It's not a proper name. It's none of this stuff. God is a we, which means there's either multiple gods since, Jesus wasn't on the scene yet. I I have a hard time believing that referring to the Trinity. So it seems more like probably a divine council kind of thing. If you're thinking of like the book of Job. So it feels like a very different story. And then if you take into account when it was most likely written, according to archaeology, being when the Israelites would have been captured from the Egyptians and you line up the days to, oh, here's where the sun God's getting attacked. Here's where this God's getting attacked. And it lines up very nicely to the Egyptian lore of yeah, this seems to be directly the israelites saying screw egyptian gods our god is better um and i'm for that i'm like yeah this is great genesis 2 man's created before all of the other animals so it's already like to me it already seems you have a different name for god you have different type of literature it feels very obvious to me that a redactor put this together to show hey these are two different stories clearly don't go together um so man's created first you're in a narrative form now, then the animals are created. Then the woman is created. So different order of creation, you have different messaging, different reasons why everything was created. Um, but, but it is still, it's still an interesting story. So Tim Keller will say just two, four onward, Genesis is literal. Genesis one is a poem. So it's not meant to be literal. So that's what I was talking about with Tim Keller earlier. Oh, okay, he makes right. that distinction. Um, I, I don't. I, I still th- I think they're different stories. I don't think any of them are meant to be literal. Personally, it doesn't seem like that's the point of these stories. Also, just genetically, it would be impossible for all mankind to come from one couple it just does not work. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's whatever the just the ideas of the story themselves, though, I think if we focus on the messages, I think that's where Christians can get along better. I dislike how, even though we all have different views, and you know, I'm more of a creation evolutionist, and Christian's more of a young earth creationist, and I think Brandon's an old earth creationist, but I don't really remember. Yeah. Let's say he is for the sake of argument. Yeah. <laughs> I think if we just leave the debate there and we spend the rest of our t- 10 minutes here going, How dare you believe that? Then we missed the point. It doesn't matter who's right if that's what we do. The enemy won. What matters is if we can look at Genesis one and say, "Wow, God is a sovereign God who made all of this for humans and expects us to take care of the planet." And we look at Genesis two and three and say, "Wow, we messed things up and fell away from the mercy of God." And man, do we need a savior! Um, if we get there, who cares? If it's, you know, like, who cares what we think about, like, who won what about the mythology debate? No, man, let's get to let's get to uh, God is sovereign. We should take care of the earth. We messed up. We need a savior. I think when we talk about the flood, we'll talk about baptism. Okay,
3: got it, got it. Josh, very well put. The my only rebuttal would be the Elohim thing has never bothered me. I I don't know what that says about me. Yeah, but that, yeah, that's fair. That's that part has never. A lot of that actually I've never heard before. So I'll do a little bit. You reflect on how I what I said earlier, and I'll reflect on what you now have said. Um, but for, <laughs> fun. For, I knew the Elohim thing, and for some reason the different names of God in the two chapters has never bothered me. I don't know what that says about me. I'm lazy by nature. Um, That's not true. Um, I'm trying to think what else (laughs) you said there. You know, this did come up also in this episode with Joe and I, where he's a little bit more like you, uh, Josh, of a little bit more on the evolution, science, creation kind of side of things where it's like, yeah, I have a hard time believing that the, that the words of Genesis 1 are to be taken literally, that this is actually poetic language. And that was more Joe, and I'm a little bit more, like you said, a little bit more of this like old Earth creationist kind of idea. Um, and it's fine. And it's fine. You know, we, we talked about in that episode how uh, probably, you know, you two may have heard this before, this idea of like, if you cannot take the words of Genesis 1 and 2 literally, then how are you expected to understand uh, – uh, How are you going to take the rest of this literally? And that turns what Uh you believe here into a salvific issue. You know, like you have Uh to you can only be saved if you're a literal six day young earth creationist. And that's just not that's not how this works. So you are right, Josh. Like in the end, we do need to kind of move past as Christians. We do need to kind of move past timelines and literal niffs and metaphors and blah blah blah. Like, was it really a ser was was you know, this was something Claire and I were talking about recently. Like, was Satan really a serpent? Did it really have legs? Is this Leviathan? Mm-hmm. Like, what are we getting at here, folks? Um, Sometimes we need to get past some of these like detail stuff and actually look at what is the point of this passage. You know, the point of Genesis one isn't to rebuttal evolution, because guess what? Wasn't even an idea back then.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Also uh, fun. Like the mythology parts of it are just fun. Like that's why serpents don't have legs. Also, for those who don't know, it never says serpent Satan. So we can have that debate, too. We're not going to right now. Right. Um, if this was a this was a three hour long podcast, I would now talk to you guys about documentary hypothesis and why I think that uh, Genesis through Exodus through whatever was written by like five different people. But oh, that's not that's terrible. that's not what we're doing right now. I'm familiar. We're not going to do that right now. Yep. Yeah. What what I do want do, right. to if it's OK, I want to set up some of the arguments against me and knock them down really quick. <laughs>
3: He you know, sets some up and some of them, down them all, not all at the of same them. time. First. Sure. Yeah, and, yeah and not and all, all of them. Just
1: continue. just just a few of these people do use this where like the New Testament says um, uses Adam or Jesus talks about Adam as if he's a real person. Um, the way they talk about Adam is the same way I talk about Captain America. And I use that as an illustration. That's terrible evidence for me thinking Captain America's real. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I'm just like, that's not that's not a good argument, guys. Come on. Um, the genealogy thing, I think even Christian agrees with some of this genealogies were never meant to age things Uh, you can look at all the different genealogies and see where they skip dozens of people in between because they're just giving you the highlights Um, and one guy at some point took them all and tried to fill in the holes but that's assuming that there aren't holes that they all had they might have all had several thousand years of holes or millions of years of people in between that they were like don't matter so we're not going to include them so that young earth thing doesn't depend on the literalness of the bible The last one that I wanted to set up and attempt to knock down, because I think this is the one part that is important from the literal perspective of there's this idea that all sin is inherited through Adam. So if Adam wasn't the only person, what if I came from someone who was evolved that didn't sin, you know, that kind of stuff, because we're saying this narrative is the the narrative where sin came from to everyone. Um, my side of that, who doesn't take all this as literal, looks at it and goes, well, the term Adam is mankind. The term Eve is womankind. So what we're saying is that all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So whether or not I think that's a literal person, um, we still come to all men have sinned and need a savior. So I, I don't think that's a – like I understand where they're coming from doctrinally. We need to say that sin inherited so that Jesus inherits it. But since we didn't get birthed from Jesus, I feel like you're getting into this weird – like we need to have a bloodline of Jesus and a bloodline of uh and who's the muddle bloods and who's the you know who's the muggle, who's the mud blood like oh, come on guys.
3: And to support that last claim a little bit, Josh, even even if there was some magical race of people who were sinless, which may actually get into the whole Nephilim thing a little bit, Christian, which write don't this, have time for. Write that short story. <laughs> but it all does get we God does hit the cosmic reset button at Noah, and so As far as we know, we're all descendants of Noah specifically, again, depending on how literal you want to take all of
1: this. That was a local flood as far as I'm concerned. Well,
3: yeah, maybe God wiped everyone out who needed to be wiped out. Yeah, yeah. So even if it was just local, God wiped out everybody who needed to be wiped out. The point is we are restarting with a person who was clearly sinful. That's the support yeah, yeah. I'm trying to give you here. Let me give you support, Josh. Like, I'm tra- <laughs> I'm like we do Let me help reset you. with somebody who is still fallen as he yeah. dances well, around naked and drunk, like in ham yeah. and all of them do their thing.
1: Well, And that's where and this is something that just like math, what you learn kind of builds like you can't get the multiplication until, you know, addition, that kind of stuff. Our doctrines do build on each other. So I, I truly do understand this idea that Adam needs to be literal because that's how we build these other doctrines. But if you're coming from my camp, you still build two doctrines. Sometimes they're a little bit different. But, you know, you know like I'm thinking of that for me. Yeah, I don't have this one man sin. So we all sinned. Um, I don't have inherited sin isn't part of my theology. Um, I think that literally everyone has sinned, like all of mankind, every single person has sinned. And if by some chance, somehow someone like Christian Alex Shelley was born and never once sinned, he wouldn't be in need of a savior as far as I'm concerned. I just don't think that exists. So I build my theology of needing Jesus differently, but I still come to we've all sinned and need Jesus, if that makes sense.
2: All right. Well, if we have nothing else, I think it's time we headed to the wrap up. <laughs> what a what a, note, uh, what a note to end on.
1: <laughs> Snakes don't have As legs. We've all sinned. We're all terrible. Um, tulip, not okay. tulip. Okay, I got a fun Jesus, one. Okay. let's wrap up.
3: Okay, I got a fun one. I got a fun one to help us wrap Good up on. It. Good for it. Because I used to be a host, so I feel like I can hijack the show every once in a yes. while. Sorry. Everybody. Yeah. Um, okay, so of all of these, we're not going to count the Christian one because we're Christians. Of the rest of them, <laughs> final takeaway, what was your favorite one? What is, I want to hear, hear Christians first because you seem to be the guy who has spent the mm-hmm. most amount of
2: time with these. Man, that's a rough one. They're all so good and terrible for their own <laughs> reasons. I, I'm more... I'm more leaning towards Greek because that's the one mythology I've always been closest to, but I, I do love just the, the metalness of uh, the whole, we're going to wipe out humanity every 1200 years because they're just, <laughs> they just keep coming up. So I'm going to go with the uh, Atrahasis. <laughs> all right.
1: Yeah. I mean, in favor of that one, I do love that They just are like, oh, man, these new gods are just way too noisy. Like that, that was the most relatable of all of this. <laughs>
2: Uh, You're Utnapishtim.
1: No, no, no. I'm still going with the the Norse mythology. Just honestly, I don't know why, but I just think it's so, like, everything was covered in blood. I'm like, oh man, that's that imagery for some reason, I want to see that in a comic book. That just sounds cool. I'll take
3: Norse too. I'll take Norse too. Cause it is good. Yeah. Let's go violence. Greek. We get Greek all the time. You know, the Greek mythology, we got Percy Jackson coming up here on the 20th, or maybe it's already out when this episode comes out. I don't know how time works, but, (laughs) but like we get a lot of Greek Mm -hmm. stuff. Let's get, uh, we'll go Norse.
2: Yeah. All right. Now with that in mind, would you two gentlemen like to give some recommendations for the audience? Doesn't have to be out about anything we talked about today, just in general
1: all right uh is gonna be about what we talked about today sort of uh the myth made fact We're not doing video why am i showing you reading greek and roman mythology through christian eyes uh it's written by lewis marcos um or dr lewis marcos i don't care how you say it uh fascinating read it's very much like a devotional it goes through different types of greek myths you know it's first you have the creation myths so and then you have the like the um God's verse, God's myths, that kind of stuff. I forget how it's broken up exactly, but it's really interesting. It's kind of it gives you the story in a very short, compact, easy to read format. And then afterwards reflects from a Christian perspective. How do we think of the moral of the story? Not as if the story is true, but just as a hey, you know, the story of uh, Icarus, uh, the pride. And where do we see that in the Bible? And how do these things relate to me? And what do I think of my own pride? And and, you know, it's very interesting. It's like a devotional without the Bible, which might sound sacrilege, but it's a lot of fun. And I think everybody should try it out. It's a good time.
3: You, Brandon, you get that a little bit when you read Aesop Fables, too. Um, but anyway. Ooh, anyway yeah. Anyway, my recommendation is very broad. Uh, read C.S. Lewis. Which one? I don't care. Just read it. Um, and the reason yeah. why I'm saying this is because <laughs> I, I've, I was talking about this a little bit earlier in the episode. You know there's something about belief in magic that does play a role in christianity and if you don't like the word magic don't forget it is the deep magic in narnia that you know and an even deeper magic that aslan uses to come back to life so i think there's something there and it comes up a lot in cs lewis and in tolkien and really those people in the in the inklings this comes up often of just kind of understanding like josh was saying earlier of just valuing myth myths have a purpose myths have a reason and just because something is a mythology doesn't necessarily mean that it's wrong or false even um so yeah read c.s lewis just start anywhere and let that just kind of soak in how he writes what he writes about and be open-minded towards this idea of How does mythology play a role in Christianity?
2: Mm, Yeah. Very nice, both of you. Well, I'm going to cheat because as Joshua has noted multiple times in this one episode (laughs) alone, this is my podcast and I can do whatever I want. Yeah. And I'm going to recommend, yeah. First off, that you guys check out the series that for a month Brandon did over at MSL Mm -hmm. for his following the Greek stuff. Uh, We went over Clash of the Titans. Ah, uh, three hundred. Aesop's Fables. You know the humanism and more. Uh, did a really good job. Had a lot of really Thank good you. and handsome guests for a really good and handsome host. You know, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed all of it. Thanks. Now the uh, the second one is I have been binging uh, the secrets of Doctor Who as I've been watching. You know the new specials that have come out with fourteen and fifteen. I uh, just wanted to get back in and like, listen to other people talk about it. That is a podcast done by the StarQuest Production Network. They're a Catholic-run mm-hmm. podcasting network. They have uh, like secrets to Star Trek and other stuff as well. They're like Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, which I love for like covering like cryptozoology and weird things that happen in the world. Really well-researched stuff. It's a lot of fun. Like If you want to have a good time listening to people who are really smart and intelligent and willing to listen, uh, try out. Uh, Secrets of Doctor Who, if you want to do more like the Friday Night Frights thing that I do on YouTube, check out Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World. Uh, Also as well, next year we're switching up our theme like Joshua talked about earlier, and that is going to be uh, discussions of religions in different forms of media, that would be comics or movies or what have you. And one of the first ones is that Will Ryan of Across the Bifrost Now, the Many Paths podcast, are uh, going to be discussing the gods of the Marvel Universe and how they intermingle with the world, like your Thors and Hercules and so on and so forth. So what do you guys think? is there anything here you uh, disagreed with did you listen to Joshua too much and your eyes bled out you know the heresy was just too much and I mean it's happened to most of us more than not our... <laughs> we listen to him talk but we love him anyway look, he just died for him, as I'm reminded of every time I talk to him
3: look I know we try to keep it family friendly around here but damn Christian
2: <laughs> he just blamed me for, for his hair falling out? oh man <laughs> well, we like to have a good time Oh, here. yeah. So uh, real quick, guys, if you've lasted with us this long, thank you for your patience. I know this is a longer than normal episode. We had a great time doing this. So please give it a chance to leave a five star review on your podcasting platform of choice. And since I just don't want to list off a couple because I don't know when the next time someone is going to do this, I'm going to list and thank all of our patrons minus two other handsome people who are part of this show and give, but they don't need any more accolades than they already have. So I'm going to thank Russell Gentry, Justin Vaughn, Annette Knoll, Jeannie Jeannie Matinley, Aaron Hardy, Daniel Sigmund, Trip Fuller, James Barrett, Ethan Overcash, Austin Nance, and Amber Riley. You guys are the best. We really appreciate what you do helping us out by keeping the lights on here at Systematic Ecology. But remember, we are all the chosen people, a geekdom of priests. Woo!
0: Hello, friends if you enjoy Systemic ecology a great way to support us and to keep us moving forward into the future is to be a patron on our patreon network if you're a patreon then you get live access to our youtube exclusives like comic book ketchup and manga mustard drinks with tejas and also uh, some extra content there with our companion series to go along with our annual theme if you're a patron you get exclusive merch like t-shirts and handbags and mugs there's also Also, a bonus extra question that has extra content. In each episode, we go deeper into our faith and the questions that we're wrestling with, but we also do this extra question uh, to jump in and share about and and, uh, patrons get to hear how we answer that question. There's discounts on our store. You get access to any future online D&D campaigns. You can easily access all of our Patreon content through our Spotify page where it says exclusive content for subscribers. That could be you folks. And All that being said, you get the satisfaction that you help us uh, keep the lights on and keep us moving forward with our software, our marketing, our equipment, staying current in the podcast game. Uh, We love Systemic Ecology. We hope you do, too. Support us moving forward. Thank you for all that you are. We know there's a lot of great choices and content out there, and you choose to listen to Systemic Ecology. Thanks, folks. We love you. Peace. Hello, friends. If you like Systematic Ecology, then there's a host of other podcasts in our network that we think you will like just as much. And so we are part of the Anazal Ministry Podcast Network, and we hope that you can hop over and subscribe uh, with all the podcasts that are in our network. Like, for instance, The Homily, which is, hey, Pastor Will Rose's sermon here in Chapel Hill, North Carolina at Holy Trinity Lutheran Church. You have another podcast called The Whole Church Podcast, the OG, the originals, the beginner of it all. Yes, Joshua Noel and TJ working for unity among the church and having great conversations with the wide spectrum of those who are involved in Christian ministry and the church. You have My Seminary Life uh, by Brandon Knight, who's discussing what he's learning in seminary, what's he is learning his theological studies and and bringing to the surface uh, those big things that we're wrestling with and thinking through theologically in the church and beyond. There's the Let Nothing Move You podcast from Christian Ashley, who is walking through the Bible in a very Bible study type fashion and walking through the biblical narrative. You have dummy for theology. I don't think Joshua is a dummy, but hey, he's going to lift up theological themes that he's thinking about and wrestling with, and maybe there's not a lot of Um, answers, but there's definitely a lot of great questions out there that he's lifting up with some great theologians across the whole spectrum of Christianity. And then there's the Bible after hours. Man, if you like to get risky, if you like to get controversial, there's this foul-mouthed preacher who goes goes through the Bible from a more progressive point of view, challenging the status quo of the modern church. Yeah, yeah, you don't want any kids around with, with that podcast. And then you have the Clydes, uh, one of my favorite couples uh, that I like to listen to. One of the hosts here on Systematic Ecology, Taylor and Elizabeth Clyde, go through weekly discussions and a kind of a devotional, conversational method of, of what's going on in their lives, uh, where they see God moving in their lives, and what God is up to in the world. So those are the podcasts, a part of the AMP Network. Subscribe, follow. We hope you can be a part of all that great network with the wonderful podcasts at AMP.